Good morning. I'm Lauren Anders Brown, an independent documentary filmmaker. Being behind the camera in over 40 countries has resulted in hours, days, terabytes of footage. So much of what happens to make a shoot possible ends up on the metaphorical cutting room floor. Most of my editing used to take place in planes, trains, or whatever available coffee shop had a decent filter single origin coffee and always using the hashtag today's office. Now I am picking up the scraps, reviewing old interviews, and scrolling through my social media to give you a behind the scenes look at what it is like to travel, produce, film, direct, record, alone, as my own correspondent. In 2018, I knew I was going to begin the year filming in the Rohingya refugee camp in Cox's Bazar, Bangladesh. But I wanted to capture as much of the story as possible, which included seeing the country which a million Rohingya had fled, Myanmar. Myanmar borders Bangladesh and India to the north and west, China to the northeast, Laos and Thailand to the east and southeast, and it's bordered by the Adman Sea and the Bay of Bengal. It's a fractured country, once under colonial rule by the British, and known to much of the world and its residents as Burma. However, in 1989, the military government made an effort to assert their control over everything, including the country's name, and now it is internationally recognized as the People's Republic of Myanmar. Myanmar is an ethnically diverse nation with 135 distinct ethnic groups, recognized by the government grouped into eight major national ethnic races, one of the unrecognized groups of which an estimated 1.4 million were living in Myanmar was the Rohingya. But on August 25th, 2017, over 625,000 Rohingya fled to Bangladesh. Probes by the United Nations found evidence of increasing incitement of hatred and religious intolerance by ultra-national Buddhists against the Rohingyas while the Myanmar security forces had been conducting summary executions, enforced disappearances, arbitrary arrests and detentions, torture, and ill treatment and forced labor against the community. Being in the camps myself in Bangladesh, I heard these stories firsthand. The UN report was not entirely necessary. What I did feel would be necessary, though, was to take the trip across that same border from which the Rohingya traveled to try and understand how a government regime that would cause a million people to flee their homes could still be running a country that was open for tourism. Flights in Bangladesh are notoriously delayed, and even though I could see Myanmar from the camera on my drone, I had to take the long way there, first flying back to Dhaka and then from Dhaka to Yangon. Naturally, my first flight from Cox's Bazaar was delayed, and delayed so much I missed check-in and nearly all the desks were closed in Dhaka. Thankfully, I was not alone. Another international aid worker was doing the same panicked dash, dragging luggage dance as I was. We fought to get someone's attention, then fought to put us on the flight, then fought to take our luggage, and by the time we finished fighting, I was through security with my checked luggage, and that was a compromise if I was to board my plane. I had to carry it to the plane myself. I arrived in Yangon from sitting on the floor in the departures lounge at Cox's Bazaar to dragging my luggage 
to the chaos of the Dhaka airport, to a calm, shiny, empty airport in Myanmar. The airport in Yangon was a little too empty. It was a little too clean, with an a little too over-attentive bathroom attendant waiting to help me dry my hands. I was the only one in the bathroom, after all. I was so grateful a, a taxi was arranged for me after the mad dash from Dhaka. And as I leaned back into the plush leather seat admiring the ease and flow of the traffic, I looked out at the cars. Cars drove in such an orderly fashion compared to Bangladesh, where I was, on the right side of the road. The steering wheels were on the right side of the car. So we were on an American-style road in a British-style car. Everything seemed just right, but it all seemed so right it made me question what was wrong here, other than just the steering wheel being on the wrong side of the car or the car being on the wrong side of the road. I joined a seasoned photographer of Myanmar, Steve Wallace, to shoot some establishing footage to use for the opening sequence to Shanti Kana my new documentary following a Rohingya woman in the refugee camps in Bangladesh. Aside from capturing footage, I felt it was important to try and experience the other side of the story I was telling, to glimpse into the lives of some Burmese people in the country the Rohingya fled. I did not go to the Rakhine state, where the Rohingya had fled from, but stuck to the areas that were considered tourist spots and relatively safe back in 2018. Bagan and Yangon, because after my time in Bangladesh, I was still unconvinced there was nothing left to tell. After my quick overnight in Yangon, we were in the land of temples and hot air balloons, where it was nearly impossible to eat at a restaurant that wasn't marketing itself as vegan or delicious, written in English, of course. Through Steve and his photography assistant, I got to film the markets, temples closed off to the public, and with some very serious and some very adorable novice monks. We went to two monasteries, filled with children practicing to become monks. The first one we went to, we saw them doing mostly laundry and playing football and sitting down to a meal. It appeared to me to be just like any religious school setting, albeit with a different type of uniform and all adorning matching haircuts. It felt to me like the Buddhist equivalent to many of the Christian schools I had experienced in my life. The second monastery was a bit more of an equivalent to the strict, Catholic, unflinching institutions that literally instilled a fear of God into its students. Lined up in silence and shifting forward one by one in a conveyor belt style, these novice monks took off their shoes and proceeded into the dining hall. Our photography assistant warned me this was a more serious school, and I was quick to learn how serious. Giving a child to the monastery is the highest honor a family can give in Buddhism. All of these novice monks were gifts to the religion, separated from their families. In this monastery, they could not play football or be seen doing mundane human chores like laundry on their path to enlightenment. But rather, they could beg daily for their food, which I was about to witness them eating. I asked what happened if no one ended up giving them food one day. The answer was, unfortunately, the obvious one. 
they would go hungry. It was the first time I had ever considered that Buddhism, like all religions, had what I considered an extreme side. In between capturing some breathtaking photographs inside temples with another set of novice monks of the less extreme kind, I wanted to spend time in villages and with workers to try and envision and capture the life Minera, the refugee I was filming with in Bangladesh, was forced to flee. We spent some time with family, and I was curious how much a family on the outskirts of Bagan would know about what was going on in their own country. My photography assistant helped me speak with one 90-year-old blind woman, as I wanted to ask what she thought of her newly elected president. <laughs> Does she know that the current president is a woman? She doesn't know. She doesn't know. She doesn't know whether it's a military government or president or it's a man or a woman. Or about politics. Interesting. Cool. Maybe Allah. Maybe Allah. Maybe does she know of any of the conflict in all the areas of Myanmar? No. No. When the the, the votes were cast at, uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, the old men went there along with the sons, mm -hmm. and they voted Aung Suji's and party. So they voted for her. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But she didn't know that she's in office. No. ก็ว่าดีลงไปเราสามารถสอดเลยอารมณ์เยอะกว่าถือว่าโอเคโอเคเสียกันเยอะสุดแล้วไม่ใช่บ่จะมาหรอกตัวนี้สอดอยู่เ
As I sat in a busy open-air corner noodle place, I found it harder and harder to accept the unanswered questions. Every Burmese person I met seemed lovely and kind. Even the woman in the market who bombarded my face with tanka, the white chalky paint traditionally worn by Burmese to protect from the sun. I concluded that everything was right. These people can be lovely. They can be kind. They can be cruel. But what overshadowed all of that, regardless, was those who committed inaction were equally guilty. Those who stayed silent. That last line was spoken by Ashley Judd in the narration of my film Shanti Kana, I had been working on while in Myanmar. Since I visited and photographed and filmed in Myanmar in 2018, that silence has been broken and is reaching the ears of the rest of the world finally with the help of many voices, including Ashley Judd's and Ban Ki-moon, the former Secretary General of the United Nations, who introduced the film one year ago to the opening of the Global Health Film Classic series for World Refugee Day. On World Refugee Day 2020, I would like to highlight the plight of the Rohingya refugees from Myanmar in particular. The Rohingya have already suffered one of the worst humanitarian and human rights crises of the 21st century. Forced from their homes by targeted ethnic cleansing and sexual assault. I will always remember the many Rohingya refugees I met in Cox's Bazaar on a visit in July 2019 when I was accompanied by Bangladesh Foreign Minister, His Excellency A.K. Abdul Momen. Ultimately, the responsibility for the displaced Rohingya lies with Myanmar. But international agreements are clear, forcing refugees back to places of persecution is illegal. And refugees, including the Rohingya from Myanmar, can only return when it is safe to do so. Until then, the international community must unequivocally support other durable solutions for the Rohingya refugee population and must ensure their protection. Hearing refugees' own stories is vital to understanding their needs and indeed to remind us all of our common humanity. The United Nations High Commission for Refugees is marking World Refugee Day 2020 with a message that everyone can make a difference and every action counts. Let us all make the post-pandemic world a world of greater empathy and of a greater determination to protect the most vulnerable among us. Film has a unique and powerful role to play in effecting change and in making seen what is otherwise unseen. It is only with all of these voices, amplifying the voices of others, that we can truly make change. And that's why Global Health Film is such a powerful platform in making change. Submissions have opened for this year's Global Health Film Festival, 
taking place in the first week of December. Visit globalhealthfilm.org to find out more. And I encourage everyone to submit their films and be a part of making what is unseen seen or what is unheard heard. And that's it for today. Back next month with more from my correspondent. Do join me.